Greetings. Welcome to the NCA podcast. I'm Kathy Mears, the interim president and CEO of NCA, and we are so happy that you have joined us. Today, we have Deacon Rick Wagner with us. Rick has been a Catholic school educator for much of his career, and he's going to talk to us today about respecting life and right to life issues. And you're in for a treat because he's um, a very knowledgeable person and with his Catholic education background, I know he's going to provide lots of information for you that you will enjoy. So Rick, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Kathy. I I appreciate you uh, inviting me to be a part of this. Well, thank you for saying yes. We appreciate that very much. So would you like to tell people your background and what you've done in your career and um, what you're doing now as deacon at St. Pius in Indianapolis? Uh, sure. Um, most of my, as you mentioned, about uh, over 25 years of my working life have been sent in, has been in Catholic schools. Uh, I've been a teacher and a coach and an athletic director and then I was a principal for a total of 10 years um, at two different schools. And just last year, I stepped away from the everyday school life, and I am currently serving uh, St. Meinrad Seminary as a, the director of permanent deacon formation pro, uh, of their permanent deacon formation program. Um, I'm, uh, I've been uh, a deacon. I was ordained in uh, 2012 and have been assigned at my home parish of uh, St. Pius X in Indianapolis uh, for the entire time, uh, which is a real thrill because I, I've been a member of that parish my entire life. So to uh, serve people that I've been, uh, that I've known for years or I've grown up with, or uh, in some cases delivered their paper, um, it's, it's been a real joy to uh, serve that community. That is great. And not everybody can have that kind of story. So that so that's wonderful. My family is full of deacons. So I know the work of deacons and, and how important they are to the church and the people of the church. So um, I was lucky enough to be at Mass um, and heard your sermon on Respect Life. And I thought, this is a good message for everybody. So um, I don't know if I'm sure you're aware, but, um, you know, we used to call it Right to Life. And now we're calling it Respect Life. The bishops changed. And um, this year's theme is actually um, Live the Gospel of Life. So can you talk to me about that change and why you think that might be? And, And again, Is there really a difference between respecting life and right to life? Well, I think where people um, have a little bit of difficulty and and almost become divided is that I think we need to recognize the difference between pro-life topics uh, and what it means to be pro-life and then what it means to build a pro-life culture. And I think that's why the bishops made that change is because if we are solely focused on topics then it becomes uh, oftentimes argumentative as opposed to an open dialogue where people are respectful toward one another. Um, I guess the, the, best, um, uh, the best way I, I have found to look at it is that our goal, if we are truly pro-life and we are supporting pro-life topics and themes, then we need to do it in a very respectful way because our goal ultimately is not to win an argument. Uh, our, our goal is to convert hearts. And if we're going to convert, convert hearts, we can only do that when we have a, a respectful dialogue with those that, uh, that think differently than we do. 
That, that's very well said. And I, I really like that, that it's the goal is not to win an argument, but to convert hearts. I, th I think that's beautiful. So thank you for that. So you've worked with um, teachers and children throughout your career. How did children, students, um, you've mostly at the high school level, but I know that you now, you know, as far as St. Pius, the K through eight school, pre-K through eight school, I know that you work with younger children too. So how do children respond to these issues? And what can teachers do to foster that kind of respect and attitude in children? Well, I think uh, it goes back to uh, building a culture. Um, if And that starts with, and, and I think what happens sometimes is pro-life gets defined as uh, pro, the pro-life week and the pro-life march in January. So I think when, when schools oftentimes think of pro-life, they think of, oh, okay, that's pro-life week. And so for that period of seven days, they do pro-life activities, but most of them are focused on abortion and the March for Life. And I think, obviously, that's that's foundational, right? I mean, uh, that's the beginning of life, you know, with, with conception. Um, that's why the focus is on abortion and why the church tells us that it, that is foundational uh, to the pro-life movement. But if we only focus on, you know, we say, um, we say, you know, from conception to natural death. And so our tendency is to talk about the conception part with abortion and then talk about the natural death part with uh, assisted suicide or, or, um, uh, or the death penalty. But there's a lot of things in between uh, that are also pro-life issues. And it, we talk about how we treat one another and the dignity of all human beings. So when we're working with young people, I think while, yes, we, we want to march and we want to make sure that they understand the abortion issue, that we do it all under the umbrella of how we treat one another. And so when we start talking about how we treat one another, then we also take into things uh, into account things that are going on in our schools. We we then bring in suicide prevention because if we are truly uh, talking about uh, a respect for all human life, then certainly that's an issue that we need to, to talk about, suicide prevention. We need to talk about bullying. We need to talk about racial equality. We need to talk about theology of the body. All of those things are incorporated in this idea of the dignity of human beings. And so from a school's perspective, I think that we need to uh, treat pro-life um, as a building culture issue, as opposed to an activity week. Does that does that make sense? It, it totally makes sense, and I, I I agree with you. I used to say it as a principal. I wanted to make sure that the children knew that abortion goes against life, and I would also want them to know that. Um, so did the death penalty, and so did being unkind to each other, because all of those things, as you say, are, are about life, and, and that's really important. So um, I appreciate what you're saying on on that. Um, could we talk for a moment about the the racial issues? Because um, people are, are very upset about those issues right now. And um, and again, you're right that we approach it from a position of I'm right, you're wrong, instead of listening to each other. And I think that hurts every one of us. But could you talk about that? Um, I 
taught at a very integrated, diverse um, Catholic high school myself. And, and those students are my kids. And the fact that they could be treated differently because of their color of their skin almost brings me to tears to think about it um, because they're, they're my kids. So could you talk about that issue a little bit? Right. And, and I have found that actually in, um, I, I gave, I included a little bit about the, the racial um, divide in our country in a, in a, in another homily um, earlier. And I actually had a few people respond to that email and, or to that homily by sending me an email, almost trying to convince me that it's, it's not a, it's not a topic. It's a non-issue that there's just a small percentage of people that are trying to force their agenda. And, and I, I like to, the way that it has helped me understand my role and that's where where I think we all need to 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 look inward and say, what is my role in the racial inequality? What is my role in pro-life? What is my role in how we treat one another? So I have tried to be very um, introspective and say, okay, how have I treated people of another race? And when, when you do that, you realize, because I think what happens sometimes is you say, well, I'm not a racist, so this is not a topic for me, and they and you move on. And then you can't understand why everybody is giving this so much time and so much, um, so much interest in the news and so forth. But I think what it calls us to do, all of us, regardless of our race, it calls us to um, self-reflect. And how have I how have I treated my fellow human beings? And you know what I I realized as I looked through some of the um, uh, racially sensitive language and so forth, and, and started really looking in, into my heart. I said, you know what I I do use some of that language, and I and I don't do it intentionally. But even even if I'm not doing it intentionally, it's I'm not being sensitive. So I think that's that's the real issue. I think with the the, the racial uh, divide that we have in our country is that we are not really being self-reflective, and we're not looking at are not are we guilty of this and are we racist, but are we being sensitive uh, to what is what is going on in another person's life, and are we being compassionate and are we being loving, and are we being are we directing our energies to being a better Christian? I, th I think that's right on. I think that's very true. So how would that translate into a high school classroom or um, an elementary classroom? How do you think we should teach our children to be better than us? Well, I, I think even for young people, I think they understand. Um, they may not understand terms like self-awareness and self-actualization and, 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 what it means to truly reflect, but I think that we need to uh, build that into our uh, interaction with them. So we begin, you know, in, in every Catholic school I've ever been a part of, you know, you begin every day with prayer, you end every day with prayer, you begin every class with prayer. There's a lot of praying going on, which is wonderful. And and I think that um, sometimes in the in that prayer time, we might ask students to take a moment in silence to reflect on a particular issue. And, and that might be, you know, before we, before we pray the Our Father together, let's just take a moment in silence. And I ask you to think about how, ha how have I, uh, how am I going to treat uh, my fellow students today? 
and just allow that minute for them to think that, you know, how we treat one another is intentional. And, and because it's intentional, we, we make choices. So if we have a moment uh, where we can think about, okay, gosh, you know, they're right. This, this is a decision. So for a minute or so, I'm going to think about how I'm going to spend the rest of the day uh, and how I'm going to treat other people. And there's a real intentionality to that. And I think that we build that as educators, we build that into our language about being self-reflective and that how we treat one another is a choice. And again, it, it all comes back to uh, this idea of building a culture because we're not asking them uh, to do a task. We're not asking them to go out and do one thing and then check it off and you're done. We're asking uh, treating people with dignity, respect, love, and compassion, that being a part of who we are, not what we do. And when it becomes who we are, then we are creating a culture where there is this mutual uh, respect and that we uh, automatically uh, extend uh, you know, dignity to one another. And, and I think that self-reflection for children leads to accountability. Um, I am a big proponent of student-led conferences because I think if the parents and the um, teachers are talking about the child, then the person who's really responsible for everything isn't in the room. And I think that self-reflection um, about just everything is really an important skill for children to learn, to reflect on what did I, did I do well and what can I improve on? And um, again, the intentionality with which we treat people, I think that is probably underplayed. Um, but you're, it leads me to bullying, which you listed as one of the things that is not very respectful of, of lives and others. And it is a problem in society. Um, I see things on the Internet and I mean, I can't do Facebook anymore because of it and things like that, because it just seems so negative and so mean. And I always think, do you even know that person? And but it doesn't let people it doesn't keep people from commenting, I think, whether they know the person or not. So could you talk about bullying? And again, do you think reflection, self-reflection is a way to have children um, figure out that maybe what I'm doing is not right and it's, I'm not acting with good intentions towards others? Right. I think sometimes the missing piece in the bullying issue is young people understanding what it means to empathize. Because I think in, in their minds, uh, in the minds of a young person who is bullying another student, they're not really thinking they're doing anything wrong. They're, they're, they're interacting. Maybe that's the way they interact with, other, with each other at home. Maybe that's the, it, the way they interact with one another when they are with their special group of friends. But when you are encountering someone else, you have to be sensitive to where they are coming from. And so I think the missing component, we have really two missing components sometimes when we deal with bullying. One is this, um, this understanding by young people of what it means to be empathetic. And so when we are working with someone who, um, who, has, who has been the, the, the one doing the bullying, sometimes our, our approach is punitive only. As opposed to, you know, we say this term all the time, it's, you know, having a teaching moment, taking that opportunity to say, you know, we need to, to start working with you on what it means to be empathetic and compassionate. I want you to think about what that person heard you say or what that person felt when you did this. 
and get them thinking more along those terms. And and I think one of the things I, I always try to do when I'm when had to be as a principal sometimes involved in in discipline issues is I, I always tried to ask the question, what could you have done differently? Because that, that's, you know, that how, how am I going to change the behavior if all I've done is punish it or all I've done is, uh, is tell them they are wrong? Um, what I really need to send them away with is, do you understand what the other person uh, felt when you did this? And then secondly, what could you have done better? Now that's not going to change behaviors overnight, but it's going it, to. It gets back to this idea of intentional. You chose to do this, and by choosing to do that, this has caused this response from this other person, which we don't want. So, what could you have done differently? Let's climb inside of those per, that person's shoes for just a minute, understand their hurt, so we empathize, and then we say, okay, now that you are empathizing a little bit. What could you have done differently? How could that whole thing, that whole scenario uh, have been different? Yes, and I think that brings us back to the words disciple and discipline and how they are related, um, because I I think that's really an important thing for teachers to be aware of and to point out to children. So um, bullying in this country, again, like I said, is everywhere. Do you have thoughts about how adults should handle bullying? Um, sometimes teachers feel bullied by parents and sometimes um, parents feel bullied by teachers. So can you talk about that? And again, it, it really does go back to the fundamental message of the gospel and how we are to respect life. Um, I, I think I, I may need you to, to ask me that question again. I'm not sure I quite caught what you were what you were wanting me to speak to. It's probably because my allergies have decided to kick in. Um, no, I, I was thinking about, you know, bullying is a is an issue for children, but it's also an issue for adults. And um, I think sometimes teachers feel almost bullied by parents, and parents can feel that way about teachers, that they're not being kind to one another, that there is no understanding, there is no empathy for me. And so I'm wondering if you have thoughts about how teachers and parents can work better together and keep everything on a level that says, we are here to work together for this child, this student. Right. And and I think that... Um going back to the the homily that you had had mentioned earlier one of the things i brought up in that homily is that um we're never going to get anywhere it, there it doesn't matter what the issue is and what the what it is that's dividing us it doesn't matter the topic we're never going to make any strides if we don't uh, work with one another and speak with one another um civilly and, and with decency and you know, um, there, I, just a quick story. When I was when I was principal up at Garen Catholic, there was a uh, there was a particular parent um, in one of, like my second maybe my second year there. There there was a particular parent that had a kind of a reputation uh, that they were going to um, steamroll or they were going to get their way or or they basically they were going to uh, to bully by coming in and and kind of forcing their will. Um, on others. And to be quite honest, I was a fairly new principal. I was a little nervous uh, about um, about meeting with this particular parent. But you know what I found is, and, and this is something I, I tried, and I, I from that point on, I did it um, all the time. When we sat down to, meet, to talk about their child and, and the issues that he felt like we had with what was going on in the school, 
I started off by, and he came in, to be quite honest, he came in a little um, belligerent and a little bit confrontational, so it added to my anxiety. And, and we sat down at, at my table in my office, and I said, before we begin, let's pray. And when I prayed, I prayed with him that we would understand that we both want the same thing, that ultimately our goal was for their, that child to have the very best uh, possible experience. At our, at our school. And knowing that we're coming from that same place, that same place of love, should make this conversation um, a lot easier. And I also tried to empathize with him where my role as a principal, I had, you know, 600 kids that I was worried about. Well, this parent has one, and, and that one child is his life. And I need to, I need to, to empathize with that. I need to see where he is coming from. And he kind of needs to see where I'm coming from. So, I, I guess I guess that would be my uh, my recommendation for any uh, any adults that are working with one another is uh, to understand that nothing happens uh, in a positive manner when it when the very first thing out of our mouth is con confrontational or um, uh, divisive, as as opposed to coming from it at, with a point of uh, with, or with a heart of compassion and knowing that you are going to treat the other person with dis, uh, decency. And because, again, uh, going back to my very first point, we, our goal is not to win the argument, right? Our goal is not to win the argument. Our, our goal is to convert someone's heart. Ultimately, I do want them to change their minds uh, because what, what I'm trying to tell them, talk to them about is, is, is part of who I am. So I do want to change their minds, but it's never going to happen uh, with, a, with an approach that is, uh, shows disrespect. Because what we have to do is show compassion and love and mercy and have that open dialogue with the goal of converting hearts. And that's what's going to, that's what's going to ultimately um, uh, bring out the positive. That's one of the things the church teaches well, and it doesn't maybe get enough press, so to speak, but the idea of mercy and how that is offered to all of us through our faith and, and through God's love. And I, I do worry that we we don't talk about mercy enough. Um, mercy is not a free pass, but mercy is there. And it's very comforting for me to know that in my own faith. And I think um, others might benefit um, to, to think about mercy a little more. An interesting uh, thing I also came across, Kathy, is that um, is that when when we when we ourselves approach um, a, something that may be divisive or confrontational, and we do it with an open heart and and with compassion, you know what I've discovered is that you know sometimes I'm wrong. Uh, sometimes what what I was bringing to the table uh, was not was not the way I should be thinking, and and sometimes we get so caught up in being right. Uh, that we never get past that confrontation. But if you do come into it um, with compassion, even if you come into the conversation wanting to change someone's mind, if you have an open heart and an open mind, you may find out, you know what, uh, they, they, have a, they have a really, really good point and you are not being the best Christian you can be. And I've discovered on multiple occasions that when I, when I do that, you know what, sometimes I'm wrong. And, and, I, and it's me uh, that needs to be shown mercy. I've had that experience too with parents. And the other thing is, you know, that the parent, their their only concern is their love for their child. 
and I have told more than one parent, you should be upset for your child. You're their parent. If you can't be upset for them, no one can be. But, you know, we have to move forward from there and then work together to to come to a solution. And and that's really important for us to acknowledge that when people um, approach us very adamantly that they are, I guess, uh, to use your word, and it's probably correct, that they are right and I am wrong. Um, I, I do try to think, look for what they're seeing and try to be empathetic because I think that's the key to a lot of this. So um, respect life and to respect the life of the gospel and to live the life of the gospel of life. Those are all great catchphrases in that how do how do we do that? Um, abortions still happen in the country every day. Um, unfortunately, capital punishment happens way too frequently in our country. But so does violence, and violence is um, very very upsetting to to everybody. And um, how do you think we should address those issues with children? Because many of our students. Um, and sometimes people don't understand, but many Catholic schools are working with students who experience violence in their daily lives, whether it be domestic violence or gun violence out on the street or in their homes, they're seeing violence. So how do you think we can help students to know that um, there's another way to live and that God wants the best for them? Right. I think, I think first of all, I think we come back to intentionality. Uh, that the the things that we do, we have a choice. And, and so there's a real intentionality about it. So being thoughtful uh, in our approach to to how we live our lives. But I think especially for students, if if we work at um, with the pro-life piece uh, as, you know, maybe, you know, just as a real basic to be able to sit down with kids and say, what are, you know, tell me about what, tell, list, list pro-life issues for me. And and they will. They'll say they'll say abortion, and they'll say the death penalty, and and they'll say a lot of the um, uh, the life and death type of things. But then when you start saying, okay, well that's great. Well, what do you think homelessness is is a, a life issue, a pro life issue? And then you get into things like crime, and you get into things like immigration, and they begin to understand that there is there are so many things uh, that are life issues. And it gets down to the real core of how we treat one another and, and the dignity of every human being. And, and it's, there's no greater message than uh, to hear that, that we were all created in the image and likeness of God. And so we are all owed that dignity from, from one another and that, and that mutual respect. So I think for in, in, in answer to your, your question about how do you start talking about those issues, if you talk, if you talk about them in in isolation, I think then as, as soon as we hear one topic, then we hear okay that doesn't apply to me, and you disregard it. You know you hear about crime. Well, I'm not you know I'm not involved in in crime, so that's not my issue. Abortion. Well, I've never had an abortion, and and I don't know anybody that's ever had an abortion, so that's not an issue. But if you if you instead approach it and deliver it as a package all under the umbrella of the human dignity and, and the fact that we are all created in uh, the image and likeness of God, then those are things that you can talk about more freely and you can stop students in, the, in their tracks sometimes when they are not being respectful to one another and say, you know what, remember when we talked about pro-life and a pro-life culture? 
as a Catholic school, we live in a pro-life culture. So it all comes to how we uh, to treat one another. So I think all of these very difficult topics, if we only deal with them in isolation, continue to be very difficult because you're dividing up the room just by talking about it because some kids have no idea about crime and, and other kids are living it every day. So instead of dealing with them in isolation as, as separate topics, we deal with them all under the umbrella of, of mutual respect and, and love for one another. So is that how you approach it with the adults that are involved in the seminary to, that are working to become deacons of our church? Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, when, you know, we, um, why I'm here in uh, Charleston, West Virginia right now, I'll be delivering uh, or leading a, re a, a weekend retreat called God Needs Storytellers. And part of that whole idea is that we live uh, intentional lives. We, we need to live intentional lives and we get up every morning and we, we make certain decisions. As a married person, I get up every morning and make a decision to love my wife. Um, as a deacon, I get up every morning and make a decision to live a life worthy of that, of that call. And we all do that. Whatever our vocation is, whatever we are called to do, we have to be um, intentional about it. And so I think intentionality, I think self-reflection, and I think uh, culture, all, all three of those things uh, have to be a daily, you know, part of our daily lives. And, and so that we don't deal with any of these things as uh, uh, tasks that we just check off and say, there, we're done. We're continually growing. We're continually working on our own conversion of heart. Well, I want to thank you, Deacon, for being with us this morning. I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, and I want to thank you for your work for the church. Um, the church needs all of us working together, and you're a prime example of that. So thank you for your leadership and your work on behalf of the church. Um, I want to thank our listeners. We appreciate you being part of our podcast, and we are very hopeful that um, moving forward, you'll continue to join us on our NCA podcast. And um, maybe we'll talk again someday soon, Deacon, because I think that these are ideas that are worth um, taking more time to explore. So thank you very much for participating. You're welcome. I appreciate the invitation very much. And uh, as I've mentioned on, on several occasions to anybody that will listen, um, uh, it is my joy uh, to be a deacon, and I love every moment of it, and and I know that we all have a vocation to um, uh, live a Christ-like life, so I hope everyone has that, that same joy about that call. I think they do. As you know, Catholic educators are full of hope and full of joy, and at this time of COVID, it's never been more important. So, So again, thank you all for listening, and thank you, Deacon, for being with us. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.